This episode of the Screenwriter's Rant Room is brought to you by the Finish Line Script Competition. In its sixth year, the Finish Line Script Competition is the only script competition run by ex-literary managers. Six-plus pages of actionable development notes are available to you, or you can submit your script as is. Scripts can be rewritten and resubmitted for free anytime throughout the competition. Over 40 mentors read and meet with the winners, and the competition staff itself works with many semifinalists on getting their material read throughout the industry. They are here to help writers succeed by improving your script along the way and making sure you get opportunities when your material is ready. So check out what's happening at finishlinescriptcomp.com, now open for submissions. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Chris? Wakanda Wakanda forever. forever. Even though we're all tired and sleepy and shit. <laughs> you guys know how we... Nobody can see me. You guys know how we do it on the rant room. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Um, not sure if Lisa Bolakaja is going to jump on today. We'll see. Um, but otherwise, if she's not, you know, we still got a great show for you guys. So... If you guys are grown, let's go ahead and jump into the show. What's up, Chris Derrick? I don't know. Just, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, I, how was Tenet last week? God damn it. Oh, Tenet. Let me tell you right now. That movie's dope as shit. Okay, all right. It's really dope. It's, um, I mean, to a degree, I'm watching it and I'm saying to myself, this guy is what? So this is, he... So he had Memento come out around, or the following came out about, about in 1999. Right. See, I'm watching this guy's movies, and it's like he does Nolan, something. Right? What? Nolan. Yeah, Chris Nolan. Yeah, he does something that is very, is very unique. Mm-hmm. As a guy who makes such big sweeping stories the way he does, mm-hmm. he keeps them personal, and because he's writing them. It's like it's a very specific vision. Right. You might not like that vision, but I'm watching the movie. I'm kind of like, people don't get to make movies like this that much anymore. Well, you know, like if at all, like like is there's this stuff in there. I was like, it's so fucking cool. It's you know because there's so much of it is, is about like how time can play backwards. And I'm watching some of this if you're watching it because like time is playing backwards, and then people are, but people people who are moving forward are witnessing mm-hmm. it play backwards. 
Right. Which is the, it's just That's like, clever. It's yeah. very clever. But the story is really, really like a, um, it's a very like stylized, because like, the acting is very stylized. Mm-hmm. The dialogue, uh, you know, it's, it's some kind of like some hyped up kind of espionage world. You right. know, um, it's very, it's very interesting to see someone who's like such a visualist. But he's also kind of a formalist in terms of in terms of, in terms of how like how he directs stuff like that, do something that's like still on that massive scale. Right. I mean, it's it's really fucking cool. Uh, and also, you know, like seeing it in a drive-in is really Jenny. He, he went to the theater. Yeah, into the drive-in. That's <laughs> cool. You're cool. Yeah, there's like a there's a drive-in in the middle of Hollywood. It's just north of Hollywood. Um, in Highland, it's just up the road. Yeah. Like, Across from the, from, the Hollywood, from the Hollywood Bowl. Like right yeah, yeah, yeah. At the Legion Hall? Yes, the Legion Hall, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I I think... I think it's the first time I've ever been to a drive I don't know if I went when I was a kid. I can't quite remember. But this was interesting because it's like, you know... Yeah, see, as a kid, you go and then they give you like a little, this little device you hang on your window that plays the audio. And it's not like that. It, it wasn't that yeah. good. If I now I remember this, but it, but but at this place, it's you, like you take your radio and tune your car stereo to yeah. the station and it plays through that, which is cool because it is it's just really clean audio. Um, Can I tell I, you? I'm oh, sorry. No, I, I don't know. Like, like it, it looked amazing. The screen was, was was really big, you know. But you know, I'm getting like spoiled watching movies like outdoor on the screen. <laughs> the last, I mean, I was doing that like all of like, September and October with Brian. Um, mm-hmm. It's just been, yeah, yeah. We've been we've been to one drive-in, my son um, and I, this uh, during this COVID thing. It was it was kind of early on, and it was. We went to see a, a um, what was uh, the, ugh, why did I even start the store if I can't think of the name of the movie? Because <laughs> <laughs> you were at the club dancing last night. <laughs> it was, uh, it was um, Mad Max Beyond Fury. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. oh yeah, Fury Road, Fury Road, yeah. Fury Road, Fury Road, yeah. And Charlize Theron was there. Really? So, wow. Yeah, and, and she was introducing it. It was up on the top of the grove. Okay, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, after that, I was like, we're never going to be able to go to top of that. I mean, <laughs> Charlie <laughs> Theron was there, so was Nicholas... Uh, Holt? Nicholas Holt? Is that his Nicholas, name? Yeah. Oh, oh. Nicholas Holt, yeah. So uh, I was like, yeah, we're not going back to that. <laughs> because unless Tony Theron comes to every one of our drive-ins, what's the point? Exactly. No. Anyway, yeah. that was a wild movie too. But awesome. yeah, it is. Yeah, so, it sounds like a recommend to me. It's a it's a high recommend. I mean, it's, okay. it's probably going to come out shortly on one of these streamer services, unless it's unless it's still playing in someone's town or somewhere it is. I mean, it might still be playing. I have no idea. Right. It's high recommend. Um, you know what's his name? Uh, Denzel Washington. His, John his Davis. Son, yeah, his son is the lead in it. You know, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see him do work. The thing that I think is really funny about him. This is really funny about him, right? He walks just like his dad. He sounds like his dad. At me. times, at yes, times, at he times, walks yes. like his dad. 
Mm-hmm. Not all the time. And I, I, I kind of like, you're making yourself walk like your dad because everyone likes <laughs> like your dad walks. Because you're making yourself do that thing. Because a couple of times you're not. Um, but he's good. <laughs> he's really good. He's, it's interesting, you know, because cause Denzel had did a sci-fi movie in the mid-90s called uh, Virtuosity. Yeah. It didn't do well. Yeah. And uh, and he's never done a science fiction film since then, you know. Yep. And, it's, and it's interesting to see his son do this and be the lead of it. Mm-hmm. Um, great cast. It's a, you know, it's very you know like diverse cast, which is like a, a bunch of the players and stuff like that. And what's his name? Is in it? Um, he's a kid from the Twilight movies. Uh, not a kid anymore, but uh, Robert, Robert Pattinson. Robert, yeah, Robert Pattinson. Right, right, right. And and you know like. I never, um, I never watched the Twilight. The Twilight. Old man Derrickson. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I, like, I, I never watched those movies, and he, um, but I remember he did a movie a long. He he did a David Michaud movie, maybe five or six years ago, with with Guy Pierce out in like the <clears throat> Australian outback. He played this. Uh, he 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 had some learning disability. This kid it was some futuristic thing. And I was like, oh, he's actually he's actually a good actor. He's actually a really good actor. And again, in this, he like like he's actually a good character actor, which I which I think people wouldn't suspect a guy who had so much you know success like that in like that teen type of film to 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 apply himself that way. So it was interesting. It's interesting. Well, let's hope he brings that character actor skills to a small role called Batman in the future. <laughs> Nobody's gonna see that. Well, he got sick, didn't he? He shut the Yeah, he had the COVID. Yeah, he yeah. got the COVID, so I'm sure yeah. they're back to shooting now, but Oh yeah. Anyway. Awesome. That's, well that's um it. is Lisa Lisa, are you on here? I, yes, I, I'm, I, I'm here. Can you oh, can you so oh, we can't see oh, yeah, I was listening. No, I'm listening. Oh, I see. Hold on. Every time I pop on here, my little video thing doesn't pop up. I think you guys should see my little mermaid, huh? Yeah, we see the mermaid. Okay, hold on. Where am so I? We can hear you. Okay, there I am. I was sitting here listening. It's like, oh, okay. And it's like, oh, wait, where I don't see. Okay, I see my little box up there. Okay, I see my face. <laughs> Lisa Polakaja in the Yes, book. I'm sitting here listening to, to uh, Chris tell us about his drive-in experience. You have joined us at last. You've become <laughs> one of the old school classic theater going experiences yeah <laughs> it was it was really fun it was really fun to go you know because you go and the people the people like you know like um because of the covid you know like, like you, you you get to order your snacks like, like when you give them your ticket oh, and they okay. just bring it to your car they go oh, yeah and they just knock and go here's your stuff and they slide it through the window and you could take it and, <laughs> you know it's like it was, it was like unlimited popcorn and a drink and some candy. It was good. It's a good sixty dollars. It better wait, be unlimited. Wait, wait, yeah, it better be unlimited. Wow. That amount of money. Exactly. Yeah. If not, I would have been at Trader Joe's. Like, look, let me get my little uh, white cheddar popcorn and my little bottles of liquor and stuff, and be grown up in this thing. <laughs> what? What? I'm not driving. What? Stephanie, <laughs> have you guys been to any drive-ins in Atlanta? Well, you know, Tenet is still playing at the Starlight. The only drive-in in the Atlanta area is the Starlight. Mm-hmm. And it's been playing all kinds of things. Some throwbacks, a mix of throwbacks, and like a Tenet. So a Tenet is there. Um, and so I've, we've been actually a couple times over the years. I, I have my own, like, really, when I was really little, it was either King Kong or Jaws. I can't remember which saw it at the drive-in. 
with the family. And right. Remember being in the back seat with the like right. Ikes or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's hilarious. <laughs> True. Well, let's go ahead Classic. and jump on into the show. Um, so today we got a special episode for you guys. Um, I want to announce, and I'll let Jenny jump into before we get to Stephanie. Um, we are now, you know, sponsored by one of our favorite uh, competitions out there, Finish Line Script Competition. Yes. Super excited about it. Yeah. Uh, thank you again, Jenny. We've been talking about it for like a year now, so it, yeah. so it finally came about. Really excited. Uh, yeah. So let's, let's, for those people who don't know anything about Finish Line, let's go ahead and give them a little bit about what it is. Sure. Um, Finish Line is actually now two competitions, and Stephanie, who's your... Your guest, the other guest today is the the second, uh, the second one, which is a social impact competition where we we find scripts of social impact importance. Um, That'll start up in in the September, but finish line, the proper or whatever you want to call it is open now. And we are a script competition that helps writers throughout the competition rewrite their scripts to get them to the best uh, of their, you know, best state. Um, so that they have the chance, a better chance to win. You know, a lot of writers have, you know, rushed to get their scripts in mm-hmm. competition. That's not their best work. They want to fix it. They can't fix it. You know, and we let them do it as for free throughout the competition. You can buy notes. You don't have to buy notes. You can get notes from someone else. We don't care how you help, how you improve your script. We just want you to keep working on it. Um, mm-hmm. if, you, if you feel like you want to, and so that you have the best chance of winning and not just winning, but having the better script, which is what you need out there in the industry. So, uh, and we offer right now, we just opened like four days ago for our our latest um, season. And we have 42 mentors um, in the industry, TV, film, uh, writers, you know, filmmakers, executives, producers, agents, managers, the whole shebang. So you get the whole feel. And yeah, I mean, uh, we, we really want to get your script, we get your script out there, we get it, you know, we get people talking about you, we, we do what you want to do, if you want to get representation, we work on that, if you want to get it, you know, ends up, whatever the path of the script is, but we are fully engaged with our writers, I just got off the phone over the past month with 40 plus of our semifinalists to get a phone call with moi. That's good. That's good. Yeah, and we talk as long as you want to talk about whatever you want to talk about, your script and what, what I think, you know, needs to happen next. Some some of them we take on and work with, you know, and get, get it out to people if we think it was that, you know, that close and stuff like that. So, Hey, Jimmy, just, can I interrupt you right quick? Uh, did, did, did something just yeah, yeah. to me. Here's the cool thing about that, and this from a writer's point of view, and all of us can talk about this, including you, Stephanie. You don't always get this call. And if you do, sometimes that person hasn't even read the script yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm up for a huge show right now. I'm literally at the network, and they haven't even read my script yet. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's... Your reputation precedes you, I suppose. Exactly. And so I'm saying, so what I'm saying to know that you give them that call and are are there to offer your ear and to offer help, even at the semi-finalist level is a big thing. I I find it's a great experience for me too. I mean, I, I, I hope, I know, you know, they, 
I believe it helps the writer and they express their thanks. But to me, it's great. I mean, it helps us keep connected with the writer and helps us be able to uh, understand where their ideas are coming from. And we, we sometimes go over notes and help them, you know, figure things out. And sometimes we do, you know, we do take the step to introduce them around. So it really helps me get back into where the writer is in the process, you know, and, um, and uh, I learn a ton. It's great for me. It's a, it's really, I mean, I learned so much and it gets me really connected to where writers are coming from the difficulty there, you know, where they're struggling and, you know, stuff like that. Well, Stephanie, let me ask you, since you just won this latest competition, you know, what was it like for you, you know, as you worked your way up to, to, to the semifinalist level and you got a call from Jenny? Well, she, she actually wow. didn't because she won. Oh, uh, you guys were saying that because it was a small <laughs> Yeah. Okay. We haven't done that with yes. Stephanie's competition because we just started, but we will do that starting next year. So I feel really, um, first of all, special being the, I guess, inaugural one Stephanie for this particular. <laughs> Stephanie Dunn, that's right. Sorry <laughs> <laughs> with that. Yep, Stephanie yeah. Dunn. And, uh, yeah. So it, it was, it's so cool. I was, I really, um, I entered because I really loved the description of it. I knew finish line, you know, trusted that to be a respectable competition. One of the best, I think. Um, and so when I saw that one for the, the Toroda uh, finish line one for social justice, that really appealed to me. It was perfect for the script that I had been working on for the last several years. Um, I, I had I probably entered it in maybe less than five competitions, but the last one was like back in December, it was like a semi-finals in a, the Bahamas Film Festival, you know, um, competition or something or another. And then I worked on it some more. So it was really, um, I love the fact that you get the feedback, but I think here's the, here's the thing that I think is important. I think that you never want to send things out even to a screenplay competition until you really have done your due diligence because right. then when they give you the feedback, it's really, it's not like they're not tripping over sort of things that that should not have gotten to them in the first place. They can like really give you um, some pearls in terms of kind of getting it there as opposed to like, it's just like, you know, it's a mess. It's too much of a mess. It's too far away from where it needs to be in terms of the polished story. So you get the most help, I think, when you've done your due diligence. And so Jenny has just been the, the, the feedback she gave me when I entered. And then I said, yeah, yeah, let me get the notes. I want to get the notes. It was so on point. And they were the kind of things that I could immediately see and get in there and do, and now like shot it back within a week and right. was like, okay, here you go. Um, then fast forward to July, 2020, um, <laughs> when she called, I said, hey, what? Shut up, something like that. Yeah. She was like, no, it's like badass white girl who I, I swear she's only masquerading as a white girl. She got some black girl in her and she was like, oh yeah, you know, you know, she's like, that's what's up. What? <laughs> <I'm> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> she talks like you know, no ma'am, and all of that. <laughs> Very southern, right? I'm a New Yorker. That's what it is. That's my excuse. But let me let me say something about Stephanie. Is Stephanie is a, a PhD? Right. She's a professor of. She's a professor at Morehouse, and she runs the cinema studies department over there. Nice. So. You know, she has a nice little pedigree and she's an amazing writer, but, you know, she's got this, this pedigree on paper 
And I remember calling her up and thinking, you know, I mean, my father was a professor. So I, I'm like, okay, I can deal with this professor, you know, thing. And uh, she, you know, I called her and she's like, huh? <laughs> I said, you want to come? She goes, huh? <laughs> it was great. I mean, we've gotten on like wildfire ever since. And yes. she's, I mean, she's a remarkable writer. Remarkable. Yeah, I want to read it. I want to see what you got. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll um, send it to you. Yeah, for sure. So let's tell everybody anyway. what it was you wrote. What, what was you said with the title of it? What's what's it about? Yes, give us give us the little the yeah. synopsis of it. Give us a taste. Yeah, quick. Yeah. So Chicago '66 um, uh, is uh, focused on the year um, that Dr. King was in Chicago, and I've always been fascinated um, by the Chicago Freedom Movement that summer, the Freedom Summer right. in '66, and that he moved into the West Side of Chicago. Um, partly because my mom and he overlapped in time there. My mom came up from the South when she was 17, and that's where she moved, a couple of blocks away from where he was. Okay. Um, um, when, when, you know, wow, before I was that, born. That, that personal really connection. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But it's also really neglected. It's like one, one of the most interesting pieces of the story of like the black freedom struggle at that time that's kind of overlooked, but you have so many people, Dick Gregory in the mix in Chicago and Al Raby and, you know, um, Jesse Jackson, you know, young Jesse Jackson, uh, you know, uh, Diane said, uh, you know, they're Nash. There was a lot of folk circling that summer in Chicago doing all this amazing work and a lot of violence and, you know, badass Mayor Daly in the wrong way, badass that is. Right, and so right. it's a fictional story. It's not like this historical drama that's trying to tell this this complete thing, but it it's like the boy who is a fictional boy who lives across the street from where Dr. King moves in. He's really yeah. the heart of the story. His grandfather, who are dealing with everything from bullying to going to a really poor-ass school um, at the time. And then King sort of becomes this heroic figure, you know, from afar and then up close. That's an interesting intro into a story, you know, and, and it's, something, it's something all three of us talk about a lot on the show, especially because we all write historical projects too and bio projects and whatever. And so <clears throat> one of the things that we talk about a lot is what is the introduction into the story? Right. right? Who's, the, which you're in, yeah, how do you yeah. get into the story and the best way? Especially if there's information you don't know. For example, um, I wrote this script about um, with my producing partner, Pamela, about the first female Buffalo soldier, right? Now, when you research her, there's hardly any information about her. So, of course, we had to have license to make sure that all those things came about, but nobody knows what happened in between it, so you have to fill in those blanks, right? So that mm -hmm. means your introduction into the story is going to be different than history. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I and like that. Intimacy, right? You're trying to fill in what is not written that history can't possibly cover. Right. I mean, I'm thinking about what does that look like when someone's involved in a historic moment? They're not aware of it at the time. They're just doing the work. But I think about the conversations they're having with family. You know, like the things that history isn't necessarily we can't really see. How they're agonizing at night, right? In the, you know, in the dark about like, right, this work or about being afraid, about being right. afraid right. of the violence swirling around them even while they're steadfastly doing the work or or how how did he and Coretta talk about this? Probably. So I think that's what's what fascinates me is just is you trying to give this sort of humanist humanized sort of the of, on history. You're trying to put this like human 
thing on it and you're trying to get into the intimate moments that must have filled up the space between the big events, right? The marches and the this and the that. It's those right. intimate things that you're trying to always kind of imagine. And I think one of the hard, the hard things, too, when you're dealing with historical um, historical work is we forget that these big, 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 larger than life characters we're just real people. You know, like, for example, I'm reading a book right now. I mean, I, I bought it like last year and I've been reading bits and pieces of it chapters and it's called um, uh, The Black Cowboys of Texas because I'm really yeah. big on the Black West and Black Cowboys and, and Black Cowboy culture, even contemporary Black Cowboy culture that still exists, people, yes. But it's like, when you see these historical figures, you just think, oh, it's larger life. But then you then I have to remember reading this book and a couple other um uh, historical books that had like direct people from those times speaking. Um, they were just regular people thrust into these mm-hmm. bigger than life circumstances, but they also had those very basic human emotions like everybody else has. And I think a lot of times when we're watching, when we're writing st- characters or writing about characters, even if they're tertiary characters, we have these things like there's these superhuman beyond anything. It's like, no, guess what? They were just regular folk. Mm-hmm. who had regular feelings. So if you yeah. tap into that in the writing, you can fill in those gaps. Like, well, we don't know what happened when they went at night. Guess what? If they were black folks during that time, <laughs> I bet you, I bet you they was eating <laughs> some food and talking about, girl, I don't know what we're going to do tomorrow. Shit is <laughs> really right. Like, you can write those things and not be so intimidated. And I think that that was a great lesson. Even though I've been, you know, reading and writing historical things for years, just reading this book and just reminding myself, like, damn it, they were just regular folk. Mm-hmm. And they had regular feelings on other people. And as a writer, if you tap into that, you can fill in those blanks, those things that you think, oh, I, I, don't, I can't write honestly about that. Yes, you can. Because mm-hmm. they were just thrust into these circumstances like any one of us could be you know, at any moment. So I just think that's great. And I love the title, by the way. Like, it's so, like, I'm, as soon as you said Chicago 66, I'm like, girl, I can see that on a, on a, on a t-shirt, you know, Chicago 66. I can see the one sheet already, like, okay, yeah. all right, you know. <laughs> so, yes. so, what's so, what's nice. One of the things that's special about um, the script and, and, I think that is important in in historical scripts, and you've you've all touched on it a bit, is that in this script, listen, there have been a lot of stories about Dr. King, right? Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like, all right, this is an important story, his time in Chicago, which was about, um, you know, tackling the issue of the slums and and all of that, which is not something that we know a lot about, you know, in in Dr. King's, uh, you know, his history. Um, But... But fictionalizing kind of two, it's kind of like maybe two thirds of it, you know, with um, with this young boy and his father and his grandfather and the, their life and their dis- difficulties in life, not just as a family, but as, uh, you know, as a young boy growing up here and mm-hmm. peeks out the window and he sees Dr. King moving in across the street into this into a slum because he lived in the slum you know to be in it and that is the emotional that balances you know what some people are like I don't want to go see a historian you know, I don't want to go see another king story or a historical piece or something like that um, and it it is the emotional depth of the story we 
and we, you know, what I've always, one of the big, one of the notes that I often give and one of the things that's like on a big scale that I think writing is, is creating that setting uh, like both of you have done and like Stephanie did here, creating the city setting, creating those characters, plopping them in that setting and then letting it, letting it happen, you know, and with, with the fictionalized part of this story, that's what's happening. It's like, he's in, he's in the setting and he's got to react. He's got to react to King being there and the violence and his, you know, his absentee dad and the death of his mom. I don't want to give it all away, but I mean, you know, all of this stuff that's, that's happening. And it's like, you know, that's where story, that's the, that's where the story development and the character development comes. Plop them in that setting and let them run loose, you know, let them react. Right. That's why I hate kind of that. I'll be honest. I wasn't writing my screenplay thinking I'm writing a historical drama. I hate that term. I hate those categories. I just have to, I strain against categories because <laughs> even when you, and then when you start to submit it to screenplay and, and they're going, you know, screenplay competitions or whatever. And it's like, which drama? And I was like, it's a drama. It's a, but it was like, you know, it was very hard to, to sort of exist in a space that is not sort of like, cause I, I really still don't think of it as quite frankly a historical drama i think mm-hmm. i had some other notions about really what firmly might constitute that so don't really don't like it in you know relation to my film i don't think that's really I think what it is again. i will never speak the words again i think i think one of the things that that, that i try to do because i probably have about eight or nine historical you know biopics or whatever mm-hmm. and i always say that I always try to find a way to make it feel like today, right? Mm. So even though it is 1886 or whatever year we're in, there's something in there that feels new, right? And it may be, we know how they talk, but I might put them in a situation kind of like what Lisa was talking about, where we know black folks, when they all get together, they're probably going to do a certain thing. So for example, like Lisa and Chris know, I wrote the Black Wall Street script, right? And so... What I did with that was I started going, okay, before the barbershops were really the place to go and talk shit, the shoeshine parlors were first. Mm-hmm. So this is, represents that, right? So every time we're in there, they're like, man, I wish the white man would come in here. You know what I mean? They have that going on inside <laughs> of there. You know what I mean? It would feel like the movie Barbershop in there, but it was 1920, 1921. You know what I mean? And so every time people read the script, they were like, wow, I felt like it was now, you know? And then, and that took place over 24 hours so that time moves fast, yeah. you know? And so I'm always looking at ways like that so that if you're writing something older, how it feels new, you know what I mean? Think, I think what makes Chicago 66 more unique is because a lot of times when we deal with historical, uh, I know you hate that word, but... <laughs> Until another one comes up, what we're dealing with the piece, especially dealing with a, a Martin Luther King MLK story, is the fact that we haven't really seen him in the North. There've always been stories in the South and the Southern mm-hmm. thing. And one of the things that people don't realize, and I think was shocking, especially for younger people, was to realize that MLK was not a beloved figure when he was around during his day. We have these notions of romanticized feelings, like oh, he was just going through and being like the new Jesus and Gandhi and walking through. It's like yeah. no. He got he caught hell coming up north and he caught hell from a lot of black folk. 
because you got to remember the North and South, even though they dealt with the same type of racism, um, it's a different geographical location mm-hmm. and it's a different type of experience in blackness. And I think the thing that Chicago 66 has is the, this unique spin on, okay, it's in Chicago, it's 66, a lot of shit was popping off in the late 60s. Yes. Um, it's, it's something new that we have not seen. So any, even though it's, you know, it's seen through the eyes of a young person and it has, you know, MLK as one of the characters, this is something unique and different. And it's one of those great things that writers need to look at in terms of writing things um, that people feel like, oh, we've seen that before. No, but you haven't seen this. And what makes Chicago 66 even more interesting and, and, and especially contemporary based is because what's happening in 66 is happening right now as we speak. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if y'all saw, but you know, the other day in DC, you know, yeah. there was a lot of white on white crime going on, yes. you know, with, with Proud Boys and a bunch of other people yes. and nary a black person was around, yes. you know what yep. I mean? So yeah. you have like these these battles, like literally. I feel like you know, hey, Civil War Two is about to pop off because a lot of the things that are happening now were preset in the '60s, you know, with these movements right. and the idea that these figures that we've come to romanticize, you know, even the activists right now. Like it, it's interesting because history does not change. And the same story gets recycled because mm-hmm. activists are getting the same negative connotations that they got back in the old days. But because of time and distance, you know, they've been romanticized. So it's like a lot of activists are going on right now in contemporary times. And people are like, oh, they're just annoying. They keep bringing up race. They keep bringing up stuff. Guess what? That's the same stuff that was happening in the 60s with Dr. King, you know, Malcolm X. You know, all the, the sisters that were in the movement, nothing has changed. So it does. Yes. And it's very so. So it is contemporary. So if there's any people out there who are looking at Chicago 66 and going, well, you know, it's you know, it's not really remember today. It's like, no, no, this is just this is the same through line that's been happening. And it's even more relevant now, because guess what? We're living it through it right now during a damn pandemic. You know what I mean? So. I, that's why I say I appreciate the fact that Chicago 66 is, is showing, you know, something that we have not seen, which is the, the civil rights struggle in a northern setting, yeah. you know, in a bigger city um, with a different type of black folk. OK, these ain't necessarily <laughs> turn the other cheek. You know, we go. No, the, this is like, you know, the precursor to the black power, the Panther movement, you know, all this stuff that's going on. And it's two years before Dr. King is killed. So mm-hmm. there's a lot yeah. that you can mine from that, that, that time period. So I'm just really excited to see um, how the script does because, you know, I'm one of those people who loves those. God, I'm trying to find out where there's not historical stuff. No, uh, you're trying to stories <laughs> from back in the day. Sorry. Those figures from history. Those figures from history. A vintage figure. <laughs> so, 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 somebody, Lisa, is, to uh, your point, is that, you know, I've always been fascinated. I think one of the, the quotes that I've never forgotten that stayed with me is what Dr. King said about Chicago, and people were just furious because he was like, I'd have been in Alabama. I'd have been threatening Mississippi, but this is the worst, the ugliest place. Oh, listen, listen. oh yeah, I remember that. Like, oh, about a larger Chicago. population. Because even in like, the South, even though that stuff was going on, you still had a small population. 
Like literally, you have these small town races where even though shit was going down, you you knew you knew who they were. Mm-hmm. In Chicago, larger population, a lot more anonymity, um, a little bit more dangerous, I would say, in terms of the insidiousness of racism um, as being even more systemic in a big city setting. Um, but for yeah. for for MLK to say that, it makes sense because now you're looking at a big giant. You know, it's one thing to have a small little gnome ogre that you're dealing with that's still just as terrible, but yeah. to go up and see like, okay, now it's they like quadruple. Yes, right? yes, yes. yes. Hey, Chris. Yes. That whole well, thing. I mean, I mean, this is the thing about the about, about like racism in the north. It's like you know, if you're in a a uh, a metropolis. Mm-hmm. You know, people had to behave a certain way just to exist in the metropolis in terms of like decorum, you know, which is different than if you're living in like a smaller town because of the way like the hierarchy is and things like that. And there's, there's also there's also like more of a struggle for the type of like, uh, the, uh, you know, there's the struggle for a certain type of lifestyle that you want in the, you know, if, if you're in a city that is, you know, it's the disparity, like the disparity is so stark. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like the slums are just, just just terrible, and and I feel like there's a different competition for jobs in the in in, in a metro in a, in a metropolis. And I say that because so much of racism is about uh, is about keeping blacks from getting jobs and being you know like competition in the workplace and stuff like that and getting that money. This is interesting. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you guys talk about this historical figure in history and how you write the stories like that. It's interesting. I, I kind of feel like when, when you're writing any story, you want that character to go through something that's like a major event like in their life. Mm-hmm. And there's always, and, and if you do it right, there is a character who kind of like, you know, like touches the main character um, in such a way that's like, wow, like that person made a huge like, impact in their life. And and I and, and it sounds like in your story it's like okay this is a boy, but that character but 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 the force he runs up against you know is Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like if you're writing any story, you know I mean if you think about like some some of these big big movies these big these big big like dramas they have some like there's some element about it that would make history if it actually happened, you know what I'm saying. So it's kind of like if you think about oh this this movie's gonna like break like break out, and you know and, and be a big movie in general to the general populace. If that event happened in real life, people would be talking about it for years. Sure. So, yeah. so it's interesting to I see told, that about, tell, about, about you know about something like this. I've told Stephanie. I mean, this is you know I, I wanted to just talk a second about why a script like this won. That might that sure. might be a good thing to talk about um, for writers listening, not just in our civics lesson today, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but and and I and I was talking to somebody uh, the other day because we just announced the winners. Well, uh, about a month ago, announced the winners of a finish line, not the social impact competition, and. And and that script is taken off and it's it's doing really really well and we've got a lot of opportunities with it that I hope we're all going to be able to announce by the end of the year even, but um, you know this was our first year for the this is actually a competition Toroda finish line the Toroda is a company that um, 
helps to market socially conscious material in um, entertainment. So we are partners partnered with them and they'll come in. They, they helped choose this, you know, winner and they read all this, they read the, you know, top scripts and all of that. They're really involved. And cause they're going to put together, you know, a real campaign around this and, nice. um, you know, and get involved. So it's a, you know, it's, 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 it's a really great opportunity, you know, for, for that piece of material. But, you know, I said, I've said to Stephanie, like, this is, this is like an Oscar uh, winning kind of movie. First of all, it's brilliantly written. Nice. <laughs> yeah, Stephanie, man, man, you can, you always amaze me. You don't amaze me, but you just, you know, I'm so impressed by you. And she's written a book, which is coming out in 2022. And I read some chapters. I was blown away. And yes. Yes. But I'm just saying, like, awesome. people say, what? So why did this win? You know, there's a, listen, let me tell you that the stumbling block of this story in the industry is there's a million Dr. King stories out there. Okay, so why is, you know, and we got a trillion, you know, you, you go, this, the, the reaction to this story has, to the script has been fantastic. Um, we've got, you know, we've got some producers attached to it. We've got a financier uh, interested. We're put, you know, we got to get out to directors. We're still going out to more producers to tighten the package up a little bit and build, you know, build it up a bit. But, you know, a lot, some of the stuff that we've run into is, Oh, you know, yeah, we've got a Dr. King story. You know, we've got, you know, we're, we've got a, you know, it's in whether it be a TV show or miniseries or it's, it's non-scripted or, you know, by whatever it is. So what makes this, what makes the script win? And I, I think writers have to understand this because a lot of writers who are writing good stories are frustrated if they enter competitions or that they can't get managers. Like everyone thinks it's easy to get a manager. It is so not easy to get a manager. Um, says the former manager, by the way. <laughs> I said, says the former manager. Everybody the listen manager, <laughs> 20 years. It ain't okay. to, make, to take that, to take that on, you know, and to feel, com uh, you know, feel like confident. Your script has to be something that has not been seen. It has to have elements that have not been seen that evoke that kind of excitement and interest from a manager, from a producer, from whoever is reading it, you know, who you want to come aboard, to get involved, to give you money, to help you make it, uh, or an actor. And it has to... And you, as a writer, have to be someone that you're, that, that is, is unique in, in yourself. And I think that people sort of think, if I can just write, you know, an interesting story and people say it's, yeah, it's well written and all of that stuff, that that, that should do it, the trick. But I think that, um, in my opinion, as somebody who reads thousands of scripts, uh, a year through the competition, the ones that stand out and the ones that we get really excited about and the ones that win or the, and the ones that ultimately get, you know, picked up and are, you know, in production or so on. And that's throughout my career is that there's something that's just so unique about them that you can't, 
to deny it and that, you know, it's exciting. It's not just, oh, this is a good writer, a solid writer. You know, yeah, he can, knows what to do or she, obviously. But, but there's something that you read that just sort of is magic. And, and that, that magic, I think people are, are work, really want to write things. People who, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference between people who are just writing good, solid material and people who are writing things that just blow people away. And that, and people don't people don't understand that that's you know whether it's the funniest thing, whether it's the most emotional thing, whether it's some way in, you know that we've never seen before, whether it's a hook that we've never thought of before that's so interesting of where it can go, you know, and how it can be, uh, you know, how it can unfold. Point of view. Point of view is what I'm hearing. Point of view. Yeah. Yeah, Point of view is definitely a thing. the thing you're saying is that when people are, if, if you think back about what movie you watched to really made you fall in love with the movies, because you watch a lot of movies, but then there's one that makes you go, okay, you know what, I want to do this, or this is something that I'm really yeah. in love with. There's probably something, if you deconstruct that film, there's some element about it that was so fresh to you. That you know that you would keep talking about that you had you know because there's so few films that you know that are have something absolutely something new to say but the things you do watch there's there's some element about it that is fresh and it's like oh my god and you know and, and if it's multiple elements you know that's what you are that you gravitate to and so the stuff yeah. that you write you got to think about how do you create something that you feel is going to create that kind of uh, that kind of awe in an audience because everyone is like so wired for story that you just can't tell a good story. It's got to have some element. Yeah. Like, wow, I, I never thought about that. Um, I mean, I, I think that's what, so it's like what you were saying earlier about I'm going to create these scenes, you know, it's, it's, I'm doing, I'm, if I'm doing a piece about some of history, there's going to be these interstitial scenes that led up to that, that big moment that made the headlines and then the aftermath of that. And, you know, that's what you have to write so well, because that's where it's like, show me something that is new because I haven't seen this character go through this yet. But that moment is where you're trying to talk to everyone in a way that makes sense, but doesn't feel like they're being lectured to. And it's, yeah. and it's, re- it's really tricky to do that with, I mean, but you, th- you think about like, just, just f- I mean, almost for any movie that like I can mention, I could say, I mean, I say this a lot now, is that in the last 15 or 20 years, be- because of the way the industry is, it doesn't really, allow for so much like stuff that come in, it's, it's so functionally new. And I, and I say to myself, how do people get inspired to make movies now because of, of the state of what they are? Like they're not so wow wonderful because there's so much of rehash of stuff we've seen like, you know, it's, it's, it's reboots or sequels and stuff like that. And I just think about the time when I was a kid and the movies that came out that I just had, I just could not conceive could not conceive the stuff I've seen of, of weight. It's like, yeah, I, you know what? I see where the story came from. I see what it is. I see what it is. And it's when you see those things that, 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 that don't do that, those things just, you know, just, I, I, there's, there's a resonance for that. 
and, yeah. and, and, and that's the stuff in the writing that people get really hooked into. That's true. And, you know, Stephanie, I'd like, I'd like to hear, I mean, because this goes to that, and I'd love to, I, I've not, I haven't had this conversation with Stephanie. I mean, we've talked about um, Chicago 66, obviously, quite a bit, and it's, we're, you know, working on it all the time and getting it to people. But Stephanie wrote a, has written books as well. And she wrote about black exploitation movies and stuff like that. You there, Stephanie? I am. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I love was... black exploitation movies. I know yeah. it sounds terrible, but they, uh, they have such significance <laughs> to the culture. Say it again. Bad bitches and sassy supermamas, black power. Listen, uh, let's, let's film. Look at that I want that book right now. I want that book right now. Put it in the chat, the title, so I can like pre order that right now. I want that. This I'll buy it. I'll send it to you. Thank you. Listen, yeah. I got to have that. That is a collection piece right there. <laughs> I want to know, you know, when, in what you're talking, Chris, what you and I started talking about here. Listen, you know, creating this voice around, you know, a, a historical idea, you know, a new voice around it. But Stephanie, you know, I've read a couple of chapters of your book and let's just talk. I mean, I know this is, this is writers, you know, so it's not, no, no, no. but this is, this is important stuff though, that the book information, no, this is important. Yeah. This is part of no, no, no. research. Tell me, it's important. tell me, I want to know, cause we haven't talked about it except I've said like, uh, what, this is unbelievable. And I've read what, well, I think you sent me like three chapters that I know you all, you and your publisher are editing still, but yeah. like what, where did that story come? I want, I'm always, one of the things that I have found fascinating in talking like to the semifinalists, like I mentioned before, is where do these stories come from? Like everybody, like Stephanie's got a voice. There ain't no question about that. And she is, a, I think, one of the most, uh, one of the strongest writers I've read in a very, very, very long time. Um, but like, what is, you know, like how did, you know, Tell, like, the story of Snitchers, uh, and I don't want to give too much away, and I'm sure your publishers don't either, but, like, that's a story that could have been, could be kind of like in every, you know, like, you could see that story. Where did that story come from? How is that built? Where did yes, the, tell us. the story? I think I did the story. So, just a real quick synopsis, and it really does, um, you know, so uh, kind of, I started it before Chicago 66, this novel, and, um, you know, kind of off and on and then finally finished it. But here's the thing. Snitchers in Chicago 66 and Snitchers is about um, this uh, protagonist, Nia, and her two friends, Miracle Ruth and Dante, who become sleuths, if you will, when a um, little boy that she babysits is murdered and they determine to secretly, you know, find out and try to get justice for this little boy. And of course, snitchers was the signifying on don't snitch, which is cold in their community type of thing. So hence the snitchers, okay. <laughs> but he was murdered by a drive-by. Yeah, yes, exactly. Accid you know, not accidentally, but you know what I mean. It was aiming for somebody else. And so the thing is that both Chicago 66 and snitchers are connected to a lot of the non other nonfiction writing I've done, whether it's about Michael Brown, um, you know, whom I've written about um, and, you know, and those kinds of things. 
it's my contemporary violence and its um, connection to the, the our historical racial um, and gender politics. You know, I see really clearly are the through way in my work and I attack them in different ways. I have, you know, a play that's been uh, produced called You a Bad Nigga. That's that's about this brother psycho who was a drug <laughs> dealer who, I, you know, who's locked up in solitary confinement and he's tripping like right. Hey, he's kind yeah. of haunted yeah. by his uh, dead enemy whom he shot to death, right? And he taunted by him. Um, but I, I see now that the through we in, in my work is this exploration of why the hell are, is, is violence our given? Why the hell is violence our given in the ways in which people who haven't, who haven't given in, in, into that, right? They don't accept it as it's a given, right? And the ways they try to strain against it, whether that's a king, like, right? or whether that's the three, the fictional young girl who's 15, Nia, whose name is Nia, right, for a reason, um, and her right, friends right, who are like, that purpose. like, I don't accept it, just because the adults can't seem to stop the killing, like, right, her right. father was murdered, now this little boy was murdered, and she basically can't take it anymore, and she's like, right. we got to do something, like, right, and right, so, right. Um, you know, so there's a through way to that, connecting to the pieces that I've written by people like Michael Brown, and I know it's this grappling and it's all, but it's also this sort of, I guess, ambitious sort of like hell no to it. Right. Even if it's just fictional right now is that I'm always trying to imagine. And what if we fight, what if we do not accept as a given? What if we just do not accept violence as this is just a reality yeah. of modern life? Like right. what, you know, what, what's that struggle when we're specifically struggling against violence as a right just accepted way of life, right. um, which right. I think it is. And that's the thing, Jenny, that um, I, I see that with so many of the things I've written, the plays, the, the fiction and the screenplay, that theme is like, like connecting the whole, you, you know, universe of, of my yeah. writing. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. I think, and I think that's super important. I think that all of us could probably admit that our careers turned when we figured that out. You know, sometimes you're just writing because it's something that moves you, but then you start finding your purpose in writing toward a theme. <clears throat> you know, when I realized that all the years of me being an underdog was my theme, and it's in every fucking script and 40-something scripts I've written, I was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> you know, and you could see me in any story that I tell because yeah. the theme is there. So I love that you figured that out now. You know, I'm not sure how many scripts you have, but a few in already, you've already got the, the tie-in. You know, it's probably because it, this is what you do. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's a great thing to know. And I'm fascinated, so make sure you <laughs> never, ever walk out of a meeting without saying that. Ever. Hey, yes, sir. I, that is a great tip for me. I never thought about our articulating it out loud. So, Jenny, I'm glad you facilitated um, that. Sure. Um, that, so. that is a great tip. That is right, a great Chris. tip. Yeah, this, this is something that, 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 um, uh, that Jenny was saying earlier about how it's not just the story, it's the story behind the writer. Because a lot, you know, look, you have, a, there's 15, 20, 30 different, like, projects about Martin Luther King People, I think the decision they're going to make, and, and this is if, like, for, like it doesn't matter what project it is. They want to know about you. How do they market you and your 
vision, your take is part of the script because that's how they can kind of like break the noise on a lot of projects that yeah. are very similar. It's like, oh, yeah. this person is connected to it this way that we hadn't seen before. Or this is the ideal person to be involved in this story because of, of, of you know, like what's their background that gives them an insight like to this that's different than anyone else who's writing. Because a lot of people can write historical stuff because... You know, it's, it may you, like you stop and do the research and go, okay, this is what happened, and then you write that story, and it's like, yes, but why did you, in particular, want to write it that makes it different than just like, you know, no offense, but a professor just writing it, you know, there because it's kind of like, okay, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, there's a way to do it academically, and there's a way to do it artistically, and part of the and part of the artistic take is who you are as a person. Stephanie and, said, and, Steph, and Stephanie, what? Sorry to cut you off, Hillary. I just want to make sure I just ask her this before I, I forget. Would make, I was making a joke that Stephanie said she'd fight you now. Oh, she'll fight you now. She's going to cut you. Look. She's going to go on mute and put the little put the avatar picture. Next thing you know, we're going to see a little stab knife over where Chris is all of a sudden. <laughs> Stephanie, what is the catalyst for the story now? Because I know you said you've been working for a couple of years, but what was the thing that made you say, you know what, I'm going to sit down. All the stuff I could write, why am I going to write about MLK, Chicago, 1966? Because I'm always interested in the mythology of why writers write things. Mm -hmm. And we talk about, you know, and here you talks about all the time theme and things that kind of run through us all the time that's innate in us that we have to tell. What was the catalyst for the script and why at this time right now? I love your question so much because this is one of the first conversations I had with Jenny because I told her this was not the story that I was intending to finish first. Like, because I have, you know, other scripts I was literally working on and I was working on my novel, the, the Citrus novel. Right. And so literally this interrupted things. And, I, and as I told her, it was the one that called me forth for right, for right now. And, um, and what I, I think is so funny, um, Lisa, it's like we, you and I talking something, we talking some mentally something or something going on because I was sitting here thinking about um, what I said about my mom. I didn't kind of complete that story is that my mom lived a couple blocks. She was on the West side of Chicago too. When she came up from the South at 17, she turned, um, I think it was 17 or 18 uh, the day after she arrived uh, from the South to live with her aunt Martha on the West side of Chicago. So I didn't mention that when I, with this thing about the violence and just the chaos that, and that violent chaos that interrupt people like my, the boy in my story, right? And as well as Dr. King, is that my mom was um, the victim, um, and that building still stands away because we looked it up online. She was like, oh my God, that's my building. She's 17. My mom was the victim of a, um, of a um, attempted rape right after she got here in Chicago, that couple of blocks away from Dr. King. Mm. And um, she's walking down the, the, down the stairs about to go outside and the guy was hiding up under the stairs or something wow. like, right? So I was in the middle of doing a short film, and, which I still am about that, which is about the legacy of rape in my family called One Sunday Morning. Because this happened to be a Sunday when my mom really, for the first time, spoke oh, out oh, loud about true. You are awesome with your titles, by the way. I know. I was <laughs> like popping. I'm like, you know what? I mean, notes, people. <laughs> I never try to be like racy. The title is always the direction. Like bad bitches was a complete, like that was just the working title when literally I had not written a chapter yet, but had done the proposal. And I had no idea that it would literally 
stick to be the title. And in fact, my <laughs> sister kept saying, no way in the hell you're a professor. And nobody, when in the hell is anybody going to publish a book called Bad Bitches and Sassy Supermom, especially not you no know, academic press and da-da-da-da-da-da. And my mom was like, I ain't never going to be able to say it in church. I just tell people your book is out and to buy the book. <laughs> and then Illinois <laughs> Press was the thing. They're going to go online and look at it like, ooh, sister, ooh, sister said like, the book. They, <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's so funny that it's like titles to me are always like, I'm always just always trying to articulate what my what what is the thing that is urging me to write the thing, and so the title kind of finds me. If you know what I mean, I've never been like, oh, what's the racy title? I always tell my students, you do not title things because you're just trying to be racy. Like right, that it's just to sort of like you think if you throw in some profanity, it'll right. get you know when it doesn't mean right. anything in the right. title. You know what I mean? So they always kind of find me because I feel like you're right. You, you then you're writing sort of to that title in a way because that title was the thing that what was the first germ right before you actually got the script written or you got the play written and so hence the you a bad nigga and the bad bitches in the, <laughs> in the Chicago, <laughs> and the Chicago 66 which is as much about my mom having crossed paths and over and also had the violent encounter because I always think of her as this just young black woman coming from the south violent kind of childhood overtures you know right having been raped before she got to Chicago and then attempted rape. And so I'm, I'm always, that converged into the story of Chicago 66. And I had this weird thing when I was walking the streets from her place where she used to live to where Dr. King used to live. Just, mm. just wow. imagining, wow. If, that, if that makes any sense. Wow. You know, that. And, and let's not, let's not forget now you, you are a professor at Morehouse, which is Dr. King's where Dr. King's, Library. Yeah. Meta. Yeah. Meta. <laughs> Not a like for some people it's distant history. I mean it's that kind of thing like you know but when you're at Morehouse, there's a way in which it is a, a much a live sort of presence. Like there yes. there are times when I have yes. been in a historic building and I was and it does hit me like, damn, Dr. King was sitting here. Just right. you know, as right. a student. You know, right. like mm -hmm. literally as a student, probably like, oh, I can't wait to get the hell up. I okay. And then eating, like a, eating, a, eating a bologna sandwich talking about, should I get I, to my biology class? <laughs> Sometimes it really hits you like when you walk in that space and, and, and at Morehouse, it's a really, you know, it's got ghosts running around up in there. And so <laughs> that it converts to being at Morehouse as well. So that influenced the personal along with being parked at Morehouse where like we do King 20 all year round, not just doing his birthday month, like uh -huh. right when we get the all, you know, platitudes. That's certainly. Hey, hey, hey Lisa, mm -hmm. tell her what you do normally when we're not during the Rona. Wait, what you I do, Lisa? Your work. Wait. Your, your <laughs> other job. My other one? Which one is that? <laughs> oh, the outdoor science or teaching the young people out in the mountains. Yes, the yeah. teaching. And um, when we had it, you know, teaching young people science, actually hands-on science, outdoors, where we do night hikes, where we do tracking, where we teach them how to survive out in the wilderness, where we teach them how to be stewards of the earth. Um, we teach them about conservation, um, all that, all that stuff, you know, and it's like, where there's something. <laughs> send my son and me. Before Miss Rona showed up and messed up everybody's thing. Yeah, it was the uh, it was the Sanji Outdoor Science School. 
And so it's out in the San Bernardino Mountains out here in California. And it's about about 30 minutes away from Big Bear. So anybody was familiar with Big Bear, California, we're not too far from there. But, you know, that was our thing is connecting young people um, to actual science. Because a lot of the schools that we serve, um, they don't get taught a lot of science. Because in California, as people don't know, is a lot of times we teach to the tests that come out. And so we don't really teach children things. We teach things that they have to pass a test to get some money in order to be funded, that kind of stuff. So um, for a lot of our students, what's Somebody up? with me. I'm a break somebody. Yeah, and, the- and, and, and basically, you know, we have different students from different parts of Orange County that come out. A lot of them have never been away from home at all. It's their first time being away from home. They stay with us for a whole week. They get a cabin. They have a cabin leader. We have line dancing. So I dance every Friday. Um, <laughs> we have skit, so we get a skit. I'm the one who puts out the theme for the week that has science based, but we get to dress up, play music, now whatever they want to do, and they have to like entertain us. So it's like my free. The kids don't know it, but really, we don't have any TV or Wi-Fi, so they're my free entertainment on Thursday nights. So when we did the skit night, it was like, look, I'm up here with y'all all week. I need to be entertained. How can I make this, how, how can I make this benefit me? Oh, we're gonna have a skit night. We do s'mores. We do astrology. Listen, we have wild animals that come walking in the middle of the nighttime, and it's like, we act like it's no big thing. Yeah, that's a bear, but guess what? <laughs> He's only going to be here for a couple of hours. He's trying to get in the dumpster. The dumpster's secure. You're okay. All right. And yes, I know that's a coyote. It's a pack of them. But <laughs> we are a group. We are a large group. We're a big shape, so they will not eat you. So that's my life during my day. <laughs> And then I and then I and then I spin stories and write at night. So that's pretty much my life as a writer. <laughs> how many children do you have in what's any your given kind week, of number? And in a week we have two to three different schools, anywhere from 150 to 235 kids oh, during the week. Many? I didn't even know. Is that, that, oh God, yes. Awesome. That's that's every week. Every week from wow. um, October through May. So every week we get different kids, a different theme. Um, but it's hands-on and it's storytelling. And one of the great things that I love about it is the fact that stories and telling stories are so vital to education. I know a lot of times people think of people who, who create scripts as being these people who are making up these things and worlds. But I can tell you from fact that young people that I work with, it has a huge impact on their life. Because a lot of times when we have our meals, it's the first time a lot of these students have um, family style meals, because a lot of them come from families where their parents work two or three right. different jobs. And so to have a sit down meal where you can have seconds and thirds, that's an anomaly for like 90 young people. And so to be able to sit down and have feed kids three times, three meals a day, you know, with snacks, uh, with dessert every night, um, giving them a bed that they can sleep in by themselves and not three or four other people, um, having an adult that's responsible that cares for them, even when they do wrong, because I'm part of the disciplinarian field, and I've had to send students home, and we do have discipline, and we do have consequences. <laughs> we have consequences, and I've had to call people in the middle of the night, eight o'clock at night, you need to drive up here two and a half hours, to come really? pick your child up, and we let the students know that have been harmed by bullying, um, we let them know straight up, we don't accept this, and I have a speech, like when I send somebody home that next morning, I'm on that microphone in that big old diner hall, because we play music, <laughs> We have just missile songs. We're like, we have fun up there, and I run it. So it's like my world, oh, no. or get the hell out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I get up there, and I let people know, like, it is not acceptable. And you mess up, guess what? I'm not your big auntie, 
but there are consequences and we don't accept certain things. But the one thing I love every time is we're always telling stories and we always connect it to history. We always connect it to myths because we do star stories and young people are so impacted by the media that they consume. And so as a writer myself, as a screenwriter, it is a huge responsibility when you're writing certain things because a lot of people get their worldview from the scripts and the stories that we write and that eventually get produced. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a feedback loop for me to be also an educator, you know, with young people, but also being a writer and seeing the impact that our work has on them, you know? And so, yeah. I, I, I gotta say that, that Stephanie and Lisa need to like, you know, go out and have coffee when the Rona is over. I got a cousin that lives in Atlanta and like when this pandemic is over, I have to come see her. Yeah. I have to come to Morehouse and I have to, and plus I got to see this book because, you yeah. know, the title alone, tell your mama it's all good. Tell your mama it's all good. And tell the <laughs> church folks, it's all good. The title's fine. Jesus, Jesus understands. The Lord <laughs> understands. You know what? In the title, do you got a cuff in the title, though, baby? Would you cuss Sometimes, even even Jesus had to be profane when he went to the money changers and threw the tables over and said, "You know, my yeah. temple should not be the house of this." So Jesus got a little salty every now and then. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. By Chicago 66, the title. She was like, Oh, ain't no cuss word in that when I said, No, ma'am. Oh, no cussing on that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's in the script, it might be something, but no, ma'am. There's no cussing in the title there, ma'am. No, ma'am. Here's the thing it's, it's, easier to, to, it's easier to curse in the title of a book than the title of a movie. Yeah. Everyone, yes. because, you know, because the book is just, it, it would mean like, I mean, like, it might be on a billboard, it might be. You don't know, <laughs> but a movie is definitely gonna be on a billboard and need to have some. I mean, look, I don't know how Melvin Van Peebles got away with his title for his seminal work, but it's possible. It was the seventies. Bill Cosby said, so "Here's some money. Let's just do what we got to do." It's indie. It's indie. All white jury. He had nothing to lose, so it was like, you know what? Put fifty thousand S's on the end of that bad boy, and let's just roll with it. Look, I understand. I understand. <laughs> I want to say something about about what Lisa um, Lisa's story about what she's been doing with these kids out in the in the wilderness and and writing. Um, a lot of writers, you know, and I talk again. Uh, I think what we've heard from where Stephanie has gotten her ideas and and what Lisa's doing and and the lives that that we all lead. We have to live them. We got to live some lives. And I think writers who are sitting in front, I mean, right now it's Rona and exactly. it's difficult, but exactly. writers sit, you know, think, you know, sitting in front of their computer all day writing is, is you know, is, is what they're supposed to be doing. And what they're supposed to be doing is having these kinds of experiences, feeling them, learning from them, learning from those kids who are, you know, you got to call them, you know, those parents you got to call or whose guardians you got to call in the middle of the night. Hearing those stories, those star stories, their reactions to them, their, their you know, their, their, um, the fact that you do this, you know, and that's something that, that you, that you created and that you're a part of things that happen, you know, 
by the way, Stephanie wrote Chicago six was writing Chicago sixty six and telling the story, and then her mother said, "Oh, I did that." She, you forgot to tell them. <laughs> oh, wow. Her mother, wow. her mother wow. told you yeah. after the fact. Oh my God, I I was in Chicago when you know uh, right before Dr. King came. Uh, I mean, yeah. so there was no, there, you got Yeah, like yeah. But then you're like, yeah, I got to do this because this is connected because this is this is part of me. Like we've like Chris was saying, this is part of something that has connected me to this time, you know, or to this theme. Um, And that's what pushed you to pushed you to do it. And the whole connection of of your the thread line of of what you're working on, you know, what is, you know, in all of your stories. But I think writers have to understand that it's so important to really have these experience, have experiences mm-hmm. and to be out there. And that is one of the things that we can do at this time to some degree is to listen to stories, to read, to be out there and experiencing how other people are reacting to what's happening in the world and write about it. You know, that Mary Oliver uh, uh, little poem, which is like how to live a life, you know, um, and of course, I don't know it off the top of my head again. But it's like you know, but it's like how to live alone. Like to open your eyes, experience, right. It, write about it. You know, right. it's like it's not just about sitting in front of a compu- uh, of your computer typing out words and from your imagination. That can work, and it does work for a lot of people. Yeah. But some of this, the most important stuff, comes from these experiences, and people really got to get out there and pay attention to what's going yeah. on. Speaking Speak of that. Jenny, uh, Stephanie, let me ask you a quick question. So you're in Atlanta, right? And you won this Hollywood competition, yeah. right? So you don't have to be here is what I was trying to get to. Ah, yeah. Okay. Right? Uh-huh. And so um, now it's a feature film, right? Which is yeah. important. Um, yep. and we all know that if you really want to do TV, you definitely have to. Yeah. You know, as much unless you have somebody like Jenny behind you, you need to be in L.A. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, why I have a Jenny behind me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so what's it like in L.A.? I mean, sorry, in, in Atlanta, the climate for writers? So here's the thing. I think that um, it's not certainly it's, it's not the same per se as, you know, what has been traditionally so in Hollywood. But what I think is exciting right now is that um, two things. One, that I, I am at Morehouse and um, I dwell in both worlds. I'm like, I have, I'm one of those weird people who um, even at Morehouse, it was like, uh, they're like, okay, you're going to have to be in the division of blanks. Like I'm in two divisions, mm-hmm. both performance arts and humanities because I'm interdisciplinary. Cause I'm not just like, right. The scholar who writes about film and TV, I actually write film and TV screen, you know, right. creative process so it's been a weird I've been sort of weirdo that way like right and what's great though is but th- is that that community um in Atlanta um you know really has allowed me to have that like my you know one of my best friends and my colleagues in the film program who's also a film producer and has written you know a, a number of wonderful scripts including one that I'm really excited about yes about a historical figure too a black woman he and I are able to work together, but like we talk about and complain about, you know, our students in terms of like what we need to do mm-hmm. to kind of reach them. But then we talk about our scripts 
then we're talking about, you know, we're, we're currently, you know, we are, you know, let me give you notes on the la- latest version of your script. Right. And so that community has been essential. And then right over at Spelman is my girl, Ioka Tenzira. And um, and my my dear soulmate mentor um, who I brought to Morehouse to um, um, teach as a distinguished visiting person. And then she was stolen by Spelman, but I still love them. You know, do <laughs> that. You know, do oh, yeah. that. Uh, Julie, yes. So iconic. Spelman, you know, women filmmakers. So I have this community, though, you know, of kind of a creative environment. And that AUC is where created is one of the places where, you know, black creativity has been fostered. Like, right. Mm -hmm. You know, out of the students, out of the form. I mean, everybody from Janelle Monet to Kenya Bears, them have come through. Somewhere in the air, you know, in the in the AUC from Clark Morehouse Spellman, you know, Morris Brown historically. And then in the wider Atlanta, you got things like Bronze Lens Film Festival and, you know, Catherine Bertrand and, and Deidre McDonald over there, you right. know, doing their thing and fostering right. it. I'm also um, planning program committee of the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival. So I'm saying, you know, uh, I have activities that are that kind of foster me being able to talk about the creative projects to, you know, have people interested, you know what I mean? Which is very, you know, it really helps you to kind of finish sometimes like, right. Having people who are like, how's that project about, you know, so-and-so like, how are you doing with that screenplay? And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very encouraging environment. And then, you know, you got, I deal a lot with the, with, you know, sometimes Pinewood and others because I'm getting students internships. I'm, you know, um, I'm dealing with folks like my um, good friend, Atari Turner, uh, producer Atari Turner, who I'm working on an initiative with, you know, for um, the CTINS program, Morehouse CTINS, which is the Cinema, Television, and Emerging Media Studies. So I'm saying my worlds can collide so beautifully. And then, like right now, I'm. It's it's funny, but I'm doing things like yes, I'm editing, getting the we, we got to get the book done. But I'm also, you know, doing something. You know, I write my reviews for Vogue or something, whether it's about Spike Lee's The Bloods. So I'm saying it stimulates me keeping the writing going because to me, the greatest challenge is not where you are. Is to get it done when you can't just be in retreat to write. If right. I had to be in retreat right. to write, I would never write a single blessed word. Right. I mean, I wrote 40 pages of my novel while breastfeeding. And when I say while breastfeeding, <laughs> I mean with him in my arms, literally, like literally, he's now 11. But I started that novel when right after he was born, maybe, maybe, you know, seven months, so I still breastfeeding. That's why I type with one hand right now, because all those months I, had, in the end, I, I cannot now type with two hands. All of Chicago 66 was typed with one hand like this. And so I, I okay. type with two hands. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's another story you should probably tell. That's that, a, yes. I'm not going to forget that. I don't even know it's weird until my students go, why the hell you're typing with one hand fast, like fluently. <laughs> and I don't even know it's weird to one of them says something like they're in the office and they're like, what is she? How is she? Why is her one hand? Yeah. They're just like, it's the most, it's the most I weird think, thing. I think what Stephanie said is really the, the, the key is you, you're not, you don't hibernate to write. I mean, you got to write in the middle, in the middle of his life. Right. Gotta write in the middle of life. I mean, sure, of course, some people do hibernate to life, but man, I mean, yeah, I that's that, the model. Because I heard writers say that, and it can be done anywhere. Like you, like I think Hilliard, your your insin, your 
you're insinuating and right. that Stephanie is, is validating is that, you know, it's about finding the community. Right. Now, her community happens to be, you know, Morehouse and the people that she's connected with around that um, at the moment. But, but you can find, I mean, it's so about community. Right, but so that's the point, Jenny. I don't care if you live in Alaska in the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? They we have the internet, so there's no excuse not to still have because you could yeah. we could be on Skype or Zoom or anything. You yeah, know, with a well, group yeah. of writers who are just like you who want to have people read them and everything else. It's that. Although well, that's hard to do too, isn't it? Because also what I found is, I mean, the number one question I get from my colleagues and people is, I would just need to know how much uh, how you get all this writing done. And I hate, like I've told Jenny, I hate, I hate that question so bad because I have not come up with this like well you see what I do is I get up at 4 a.m. the hell I do or oh, I write every day from 6 to 8 p see it's not like that I just always can just say to them I just get it done and it's never like I can't make up schedules like that because my work you know do, living the three or four jobs the right I can't it's not like that some nights I'm not gonna get in bed till two I'm not getting up at five. To, it's just all about keeping it going. And I always tell my students that, like, you know, as a writer, there's one thing I heard a writer say that I live by, which is that I can write my way through anything. I feel pain. I can write my way through that. I feel joy. I can write my way through that. You know, Michael Jackson died. I'm devastated. I can write my way through that, which is what I did. I'm just saying. Exactly. It's just yeah. through what of like, oh, yeah, just get it, get it in when you fit it in. Yeah. Yes. Hey, Chris, yes. were you about to say something before we wrap up? Were we going to say? Yeah, I'm just going to say, you know, the thing about writing in terms of, I think it's really what you're saying is what people have to really get into is like, it's a discipline that you have to keep doing. So, you know, so it doesn't, you know, if you, if you have the the, the, the financial freedom to say, I'm going to carve out these hours every day to do this, you know, you can, but, you know, but, it, but most people don't until they get to a certain level of success. And it's like, at that point, you just have to always, it's up to you to find the time to do it all the time. Because, you know, I, I read some quote the other day from um, Ava DuVernay about, about writing. They were like, you know, she was like, you know, um, she says something like, um, um, everyone's writing is terrible until it's not. And it's, <laughs> and, and it's because you got to keep writing and keep polishing and keep working on it. You know, it's just, you just keep writing and, and, and you learn more each time that you sit down to write. And I, and I feel like if you don't, um, I mean, if you're trying to find like the inspiration or you or, or that you get distracted because of the day, I mean, like there's days that I say, look, I want to do this, you know, at three o'clock to six o'clock is when I want to write in the afternoon. Well, that can't happen. But, but I got to get that writing in that day, like, like sometime, like some way, you mm -hmm. know, and I, and I, and I, and I feel like, oh, if I do get distracted from a day, I know I got to do it the next day. Cause it's too easy to get into like the habit of like, not doing it, you know, and you got to be in the habit of doing it. It, I mean, it was something that you want to do because it's it's really a muscle that you have to keep exercising, right. and you know, and and you know, it's about warm. It's just like it's like exercise. Like you got to warm up, you know, and be strong at it, you know, and try different things. So like you 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 know, keep the growth going. Like you can't do the same, you know, the same exercise every day because you'll plateau. You know, you're like, okay, you know what? If I'm bench pressing every day, at a certain point, you have to stop and do some flies. Or some right. push-ups because if you don't, like, I, I, you just got to chase up to your muscles and go, okay, shit, wait a minute now. You go end up, 
you're gonna end up, yeah. up uneven if you don't. I writing in different genres. That's right. why I think someday I can't work on a screenplay, but I'm writing this writing review. Book. Right. Yeah, review. Yep. Short exactly. story. I'm working right. on a play. It's a, it's a, it just right. keeps it's the writing going up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I was gonna say this. It reminds me, Chris, as you were talking. We talk about this a lot, um, Jenny and Stephanie, that here's writing. Watch this. I'm just going to look off to the side. I'm just staring. And your, your partner, husband, girlfriend, boyfriend is like, what are you doing? I'm working. Like, no, you're not. You're looking out the window. Like, no, I'm thinking. I'm seeing it. I'm visualizing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's, exactly. a, there's a thing that we exactly. have that yeah. nobody else in the world can do that we are yeah. doing. We're still working when we're just staring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is when you're working and you're cleaning toilets and stuff and making dinner. And like, no, no, for real. I mean, I think that one of the most beautiful things I've ever learned as a writer, because I used to feel badly, like I'm really slacking if I'm not literally sitting down writing, right? And then I discovered, God, a lot of my writing occurs when I'm not, like, right? Like I find my way Hello. out of trouble when I'm not Hello. thinking about it. Then I'm yes. like, oh, let me just write that in my phone real quick. Yes. Cause then when I do sit down, I'm yes. ready to go. You know, right? We all agree. I mean, look, look, I do that all the time. You know, like, like, like if I'm walking home from the store or something like that, I'm constantly, it's like, oh, I, I, I got to take notes right now. I, gotta, I mean, but, but that's something I do, though. You, you know, like, I walk to the grocery store quite a bit, you know, uh, just because the pandemic is close to me. But but I use that 20-minute walk there and back, you know, 20 minutes east way or so to be, you know, if I'm thinking about something, I'm thinking about the whole time that I'm walking. I'm thinking about it when I'm in the store, like pulling off the mm-hmm. put off the shelf and blah, blah blah. I'm thinking about it in line, and then when I get back, I I I, I have all this material that's now like that's been it's, it's been thought about, it's been tested. Like you know, I'm testing dialogue in my head, whatever it is. And I sit down, I go okay. So and then and then I just need to to offload it when I get back, you know. And that Ooh, offload, it still might be very sloppy and rough, but it's like okay, but now I can come back. And work on that tomorrow, you know, or the next day, you know, or that, that afternoon, whatever it is. Because, you know, uh, like I said, it's the discipline and just keep doing it, you know. And, and, and you don't necessarily have to be typing at the keyboard to be writing, which is the big thing that some people don't, that some people don't get, you know. Like, I was telling somebody the other day, I was telling, you were talking about, you have to sit down and write. I was telling somebody the other day, we were, we were kind of joking on Twitter about, like, the size of the percentage, like, magnification you have when you... Or, or type it in your screenwriting program. Well, see, here's the thing. I have mine at 200%. Mine is at 200. I like to see it big. I, I, I like to see it big, but a lot of times I'm pacing, you know, and if I'm away from the screen, I can read it. I can read this. Yeah. I can read it far enough away. It was 200% oh. when I'm pacing, you know. Um, so, but yeah, because it's, 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 it's not yeah, all about it. just sitting down, you know. And being in, and being in front of the blank canvas. I mean, I don't know. Something the other day, on my my and my staff about writing, and she was like, "Oh, it sounds like that you're not afraid of the blank page." I was like, "I'm not." You know, yeah. it's just like because because I'll just start writing uh, from stuff I've been thinking about. You know, like I I, yeah. I get in the morning, nope. I got to start writing, and and it, I mean, and look, it's not going to be the best, you know. But once it's down, I can start thinking about it, was- it more. Let me let me give you one little antidote to the to the making it a two hundred size font is <laughs> we are also trying to save paper. 
So a lot of times you'll read it and you have it on 100 or whatever because you like how it looks on the page. You can see the whole script. <clears throat> but what it does is it forces you to now make a copy, read it on paper, and waste paper. Right. So when it's bigger, it's like reading it on a, on a PDF and you blow it up on a PDF. Yeah. So it kind of it tricks your mind. So you see all the mistakes or any imperfections. And no, stuff. There's, there's all that. There's all that. You're right. I mean, like I'm, I'm working at this horror film for someone, and I and, and I I sent out a PDF. In a PDF, you can actually make it even bigger. You know, I mean, because 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 one of the things I love about working, um, sometimes I'll, I'll work in uh, 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 in fade in. In fade in, you can set it so that like the the page is kind of darkened except for the area around where the cursor is. So you're just mm -hmm. focusing, you know, like on that dialogue or on that uh, that action line. You know, the rest of it is, is just darkened out. You know, just again about like focusing on what it is. And you know, to me, I find you, you can find the mistakes that like easier that way, or just like see where not say, but like see where a line. You know, like there's something that, that that can make it work better because you're not seeing the whole page. You know, mm -hmm. so before before I forget, yeah, I want to make sure with with Jenny. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Stephanie. Um, I'm sorry. It's the no, iPad that does that. Really fascinating because I'm going. What do you mean? So you guys put it at the 200 font, and then you're saying that that makes you that helps kind of you avoid like that temptation, I guess, to print it out. But I guess I've been using my iPad kind of that way. I don't know why it is, but when I really want to proofread, just like really read it and see if I've made mm -hmm. crazy mistakes, for some reason doing it on the iPad and PDF is my, you know. I don't know why I can see it like then, but can't on my computer. Probably because it's just lighter in your hands, and you could just you probably feel more loosey goosey. Psychological, some psychological. Sure, sure. I'm gonna try the 200 font though next. I'm trying to see what happens. <laughs> well, before, before, I, before I forget, you know, when we're talking about our wonderful finish line script competition. I want to make sure our listeners um, who were interested also in the social impact competition. I want to make sure we spell the words so they know. Right. Um, Strota, T I R O T A, finish right. line, finish line social impact script competition. So for next year, um, yeah, we're gonna open up. Go, in, ahead, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Jen. Go ahead and go ahead and tell. Wrap it up. It's well. Listen, there's finish line, which is finish line, which is open right now. So everything and social impact. You can enter. You can enter both. It's all good. Um, and in uh, at the end of mid to end of January, we're gonna open up the second annual. Toroda Finish Line Script Competition. Nice. T-I-R-O-T-A, nice. uh, Finish Line Social Impact Script Competition. Obviously, these are scripts that are about social impact, about uh, climate change, about civil rights, about domestic violence, about, you know, uh, anything that you consider. I mean, I'm not, I'm, you know, not thinking of anything again uh, very well today, apparently, but Anything that we know is, is you know, a socially impactful, a social good, a social, you know, uh, social issue that, um, and that goes, you know, we've gotten, obviously we've, we've gotten the script out to, you know, uh, you know, the, the macros and the participants and the bronze and all of the places and all of the producers who are doing that kind of, you know, L LGBTQ, all of this stuff, you know, the, the Berlantes, all of these places that are doing, you know, important and recognize important stories that need to be told, whether it be on television or, um, or, uh, or film. And that does not 
obviously uh, uh, exclude finish line where important stories are also told. Sure. But this one is specifically for that and comes along with with Tarota with this whole, you know, uh, marketing, you know, aspect that will come once we get cracking. Um, and Jenny, and Jenny, thank you for just doing the work that you do, because it takes a lot for a lot of people who've worked in the business for years who decide, you know what, I'm going to step away from one thing and create something that that brings in more writers. Like it takes a lot because it's very easy to, to get caught up in your own world and your own success and doing your thing. It's quite another to like step away from something and say, this is what I choose to do, a mid-change life course yep. to really bring forth more new voices. So I really want to commend you for doing that because it's not easy to do and it's very easy to go the the easy path, make your money, live your life like, bitches, do what y'all got to do. I'm out here. But for you to step away and say, I want to do this because I think stories are so important and I want to get as many different types of voices out there. So thank you for doing the work that you do because we don't tell you people that enough, but I just want to let you know that it's important and I thank you for that. Can I add to that, Denny, before you say you're humble, like, oh, no, 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 is that as a person now who is part of her new circle and, you know, what I'm amazed about and what I really applaud Denny for is not only just that effort you just described, Lisa, but it has been absolutely amazing working with Jenny. And we, we, haven't, we haven't gotten to the, this point where it's a but the, but I don't even know how she is so attentive. She's you know, I was talking to someone who someone had optioned um, his screenplay. Right. And he's like, I ain't heard from them in months. I have. I said, really? And then I'm like, Jenny, so-and-so, so-and-so. But now after the fifth Jenny, some, he was like, let me talk to Jenny. Can you hear him? I don't have to reach out to Jenny. I don't chase Jenny. Jenny does, you know. I mean, so in, in addition to having an amazing eye in terms of giving you, like, to me, what are just gems in terms of taking your screenplay, making that a little tighter, which everything was just on. I mean, really, her eye is sharp, that literary right. eye. Right. Right. But it's the way she works with such respect. And then she's this like quiet, like, you know, assassin because mm -hmm. you can be on the phone with Jenny. You be on that Zoom with, you know, you and three other white guys or whatever. And, you know, they saying something kind of off kilter. And for some reason, Jenny knows when it's off kilter to me. But Jenny's like, no, we don't need to do that. You know, the way she says it, like a shout, but it's kind of like this sort of like, you know, she ain't no joke. I was like, mm. Jenny has assassins. She has assassins. She can be in the room with anybody, okay? Yeah. Let me say this before we wrap up. There's a reason why we are friends with Jenny. You know, we've been friends with Jenny for about three or four years now. You know what I mean? And so there's a reason for that and because we know you're the real deal. No, you know, you. we know where you come from. You know, I remember you when I was coming up, seeing your name. So I know, I know what was going down. You know, no. we know you're a legitimate former literary manager, agent. You know, you worked at some of the top companies out there. You had yep. some of the top fucking, you know, clients. You know, they say no joke. There's a reason why you can get these people these amazing meetings. You know? Yeah. Lisa, I want to thank you, Hilary, and thank you, Stephanie. But Lisa, I want to just pop. I want to thank you for what you said. And also, you know, to people like I, I burned out on literary management. And you know what I thought to myself, I got to, what am I going to do? I got to create, I created the perfect job for myself. Mm. I think just think that, you know, 
if there's nothing, I mean, I got some, I got some things that I'm proud of in, my, in life. This little boy who's over here, Hilliard, you've all, <laughs> and Chris and, and Stephanie, you've all met him. We call him the cookie monster. Yes, we know who you're talking monster, about. The candy monster. Um, but um, I create, yeah, like I thought, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't, you know, I don't want to do this, but I love writing and I love, I want to be connected to writers. I want to help writers. And yeah, I just, uh, I thank you because I just like create, thought, wow, this is the perfect job for me. And, and I, I yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be humble, Stephanie, by the way. I'm going to say I'm proud of myself. And I'm proud of myself because I'm finding by, by, by tangent, tangentially, I'm finding brilliant writers brilliant writers and you know like i heard the other day and i I know we're running over and we got to wrap up but i heard from a producer the other day saying i want to see what you send me next because every time you send me something it's great and man love that i thought wow that's it i did it i did it i you know and and jenny just so you know you're you're you're, you're, your son your son is watching and so you're setting an example (laughs) on the type of world that needs to be created because he's seeing mom do it so yeah. you know yeah. you're 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 planting seeds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. over. Exactly. Yeah. All love. All great. So, it's good stuff. Thank you so much, Stephanie Dunn. Congratulations <laughs> on your win. Um, are you on Twitter or Instagram? Can people follow you? I anymore? am Dr. Stephanie. Um, you can find me on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. Jenny and I back and forth all the time on Instagram or whatever. What we do? I like to drop on her more than me because she hangs out with people like Kamala Harris, vice president. That's her, that's her cousin. She that kind of stuff. While she just saw it unassuming, like, is that her and Joe Biden? Okay. All right. Jen. I see what about you, Jenny? Where you at, girl? Oh, we are at, uh, we're on all social media. We're Finish Line Script on uh, Twitter. We're at uh, Finish Line Script Competition uh, on both Instagram and Facebook. And we're at www.finishlinescriptcomp.com. And we are open, accepting yes. uh, submissions. Sixth year. Sixth year. Sixth year. Our sixth yes. year. Wow. Open. You can enter your script as is. You can get six plus pages of amazing notes. You can re-enter your script for free at any time. You can use our notes, use somebody else's notes. We don't care. We just want to find great scripts. Nice. Awesome. Where you at, Chris Derek? <clears throat> you can find me at uh, unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, you know. And if you want to talk to uh, you know, to to, to, sh- to to find out more about the the uh, the competition, find out more about the show, support the show. You can go to screenwritersrr.com, where there'll be like a link to take you di- directly to the finish line competitions like homepage. There'll be a link to our Patreon page, and there'll be a link to our direct uh, support page on the uh, uh, on Spotify. So you know, that's you know, like ways to contact me or to contact the the, um, the podcast. Will you say something, Jenny? Yeah, I just want to say one thing. Um, uh, we are starting to um, to sponsor uh, Screenwriters Rant Room. And by the way, um, I thank I thank Hilliard for what he said about you know like you know I know he's had opportunities for sponsorship and 
and I'm really happy that um, we we came, you know, we've been talking and that we, we decided to go through with it. And like, I appreciate what you say about me, but I, back at you. I mean, this is, I, I hear from so many people how much they love this podcast. Oh, awesome. Get out of it. Um, you know, the variants of people that you have on the conversation and, you know, it's just, it's my vibe and it's like the kind of thing that's the best. I, I just feel so connected to you guys. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, you talk and how you, how you work and your ethics and, you know, <laughs> your work ethic and, and all of, you know, what you believe. So for me, it's a pleasure. It's an honor that, that we were able to come to, uh, to, to get this sponsorship together. Not just, I appreciate, you know, that, yeah, I, I, I had a career as a script, you know, as a, as a writing, a writer's manager, but uh, for me being uh, in your, in your wheelhouse is, is awesome as well. Thank you. Well, we appreciate awesome. that for sure. Well. Thank you so much. Thank indeed, you. indeed, indeed. Um, Lisa, Lisa, Colt Jam, where you at girl? Oh, on Twitter at what fresh hell is this? Ah. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, it's Dorothy Parker. What can I say? You, know? right. you, got, okay. you got to have a genius writer and you got to have something. Yeah, it's like, you know what? Every, every time I open up Twitter, it's like, what really? What fresh hell is this now? And I am your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. <clears throat> you can follow the show, Screenwriters RR, on Twitter. Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Please give us a um, five-star review um, on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you guys listen to, Google Play, or everywhere out there. Um, Chris already pumped up the, the website and all that other stuff, the Patreon, so that's all awesome. Um, I was trying to think there was something I was going to say. Um, but yeah, so thank you, Jenny, again. Yeah. We're, look, we're looking forward to this wonderful collaboration with us in Finish Line Script. All you writers out there, I'm telling you, this is, this is the one that you want to submit to. Yes, you might win more money at another competition, but you are not going to get all these meetings Jenny's going to get you. I promise you. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? not getting Jenny Frankfurt. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank it you. will be worth your $3. Trust me. <laughs> you are going to see this movie, and you're going to read this book. Don't forget the name, Dr. Stephanie Dunn. It, okay. she's woman is the real deal in every way, shape, and form. And Stephanie, when the book Bad Bitches and Sassy Super, when that book comes out, you have to come back it's on. Out. We have it's to out. talk about it. It's out? It's out. Don't let it start it. But the novel comes out in 2022. The novel. So the okay, yeah. Comes out okay. In the novel, yeah. yeah. Hopefully the film at some point up in there, too. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Very good. That, those big Yes. Um, thank you all so much. This well, thank you, guys. Great, great, great. Yes. Everybody joining with us for Wakanda Forever. You guys know how we do it on the rant room. Huh? What? <laughs> you know. Jenny's, Jenny's got the hand motions and everything. She's ready. She's ready. You guys know how we oh. do it on the rant wait, room. Wait, wait, wait. I got to do it. Okay. Before we go. I know. Go I'm sorry, Hillier. Only because it's history and it's historic. Uh, condolences to uh, Charlie Parker's family, oh. one of the very first black country singers that stars who passed away. Sure. And like you said, I'm a black Western lover of history and country music. And um, I was sad to say that, you know, he passed away um, a couple days ago, but it, it's iconic figure. Um, 
for America itself in terms of country music. So just wanted to say condolences to the family and what a, what a blessed life to have. And, and, you know, it's sad that it's during COVID, but man, that music, if you love country, and I know black folks be giving me the mm-hmm. side eyes, like, yes, be in country I love music country. too. Listen, two steps at when he got married at the end of the soon as they said, I do, it's done. They two stepped yep. out the door, but that's behind them. So, hey, Alan, country. Alan Jackson's good there time popped up, and we there started going. Go. Yes. There you go. So, anyway, that's all I want to say. Natalie, to Natalie, to Reed. Very good. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Yep. Anyway, well, thank you guys. You guys know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what everybody was on down forever. Yeah. Mama say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Rant Room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.